Ladies, welcome. So it's Tuesday, and that's uh, Tehilim time, Wednesday, Tehilim time. And uh, we're at chapter Pebet, which is 82. It's right after 81. And this is another classic. It also comes from the collection of Asaf. And it also comes from the collection of chapters that we say on a weekly basis. I don't know if you ladies make it to the end of the prayers, but after the Amidah, there's a couple of pages there. And one of the sections there is the Shir Shel Yom. In the olden days in the temple, they used to have a song of the day. <clears throat> and the Levim would play their instruments and they would sing the song of the day during the time of the uh, Korban. And uh, this actually, chapter 82, is the song that they would sing on Tuesdays. Hayom yom shilishi b'shabbat kodesh ashir shayu alivim umnim al aduchan. So if you remember last week, we learned Wednesday's song. Wednesday? Or Thursday's song. I have my days mixed up. I had a rough day doing this. My mind's all confused today, so forgive me. So anyway, uh, yeah, last week was Thursday's song. The class was on Wednesday, but we talked about Thursday's song. Today the class is on Wednesday, and we're talking about Tuesday's song. Anyway, <clears throat> the theme of the, uh, of the Mizmor is going to be about uh, justice and judges and corrupt judges and judges that take bribes and judges that are uh, perverted. And it's going to talk about how that's uh, the destruction of the world when you have judges that are not you know, following justice and equity and being honest. It's a small chapter. There's not too many pesukim. Eight pesukim is one of the smallest chapters. And the question, of course, would be, what does judges and ju- judgment have to do with the uh, Tuesday? It's a good question. Obviously, there has to be some connection between the theme of the Mizmor and the reason why it would be dedicated to Tuesday. So there's a rabbi called the Maharsha, and he has a commentary on the Gemara, and I'm taking this from his commentary on Masichet Rosh Hashanah, on page 31. And if anybody knows what happened on Tuesday, the day of creation, it says that the waters moved to the side, and the earth was revealed. When Hashem created the world, it was all water, and there was no place for a person to stand. He would drown, God forbid. On, uh, on Tuesday, it says in the Pasuk, let the waters gather into one place, and let the earth be uh, visible. And we know that one of the uh, causes of floods to the world is the perversion of justice. If you remember when the Mabul came, the great flood in the times of Noah, so the Pasuk says, Hamas. The world was filled with Hamas. Hamas means thievery, robbery, uh, crookedness. So therefore, uh, it is appropriate that on the day of Tuesday, when the earth became stable, where the water was moved to the side, it's almost as if to say, when the Mabul uh, moved to the side, so that's the day where the earth had its stability, and that's the day we talk about justice. Because when there's justice uh, and judges making sure that the thieves don't get away with their criminal behavior, and that the uh, uh, the righteous are made whole in court and they don't not take advantage and when the poor man 
is given the right uh, 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 verdict against the rich man that oppresses him. So therefore the world exists and therefore Tuesday is the day where the earth became uh, revealed and if you want the earth to remain uh, viable, so then you have to follow the theme of this Mizmor. So that's the way the Maharsha explains it. There's yet another interpretation uh, which is said by the, uh, the Kabbalists. It is a Mishnah Pirkei Avot. The Mishnah says, there's two Mishnayot in Pirkei Avot. The first Mishnah says, Ashlosha Devarim Ha'olam Omed. The world stands on three pillars. Ala Torah, Ba'al Avodah, Ba'al Gemilut Hasadim. Torah is Torah, the learning of Torah, which we're doing now. And Avodah is prayer, which we do as well. And then Gemilut Hasadim is acts of kindness. Those are the three pillars. And as long as the Jews are keeping those three principles, the world is uh, omed. And then there's another Mishnah at the end of Pirkavod that seems to contradict this. It says, kayam. And what is that? Aladin shalom emet. Din is justice, shalom means peace, and emet is honesty. Sounds like these three things are different than the other three things that we mentioned earlier. So make up your mind. Now, I don't have a problem. If there's six pillars, so be it. I don't care if there's ten pillars. But the Mishnah doesn't say it. The Mishnah says there's three, and then there's three. So what's the explanation? So I once heard from my rabbis the following. If you look at the language of the Mishnah, the first Mishnah says, omed. The second Mishnah says, Ha'olam kayam. There's a difference between omed and kayam. Omed means for the world to exist, you need these three items. Otherwise, it's not going to be a world. Uh, if they, God forbid, there'd be a moment of interruption where the people are not studying Torah, the world will just go back to Tohu Bavo, to Helter Skelter. So to keep the world in existence, Omed means in existence, you need the three items. Now that we have the world in existence, to keep society who's in this world existing, which means Kayam means to maintain the world. That's maintenance. The world is Omed in the three. But if you have a world that has no justice system, and it's lawlessness, like they're talking about today, law and order, or the, the lack of law and order, and then there are people, it's anarchy, people can do whatever they want. So even though you got the rabbis learning in the kolel, and they got the people doing chesed and praying all day long, so the world is there, but what kind of world is it? It's a world of chaos, it's a world of, uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, confusion, of uh, tohu uh, as we said. So therefore, the Mishnah is saying two things, for the world to be kayam, which is the maintenance of such a world, for it to be a normal, viable world to live in, you need these three items. What are the three items? Deen. Deen is justice. Shalom, of course, peace. You cannot have a world if everybody's fighting with each other. And emet, honesty. Honesty is a very important element for the world to use because if you can't trust anybody, so then I will never give you credit in my store. And you're going to come along and want to buy something, and I'll say, no, it has to be cash only, and then they're ready, you're not going to be able to eat. And then uh, I'm, I'm going to suspect you. And then there's going to be fighting. And then I can't take you to court because there's no dean. And then the world just becomes, uh, everybody filled of suspicions and uh, becomes chaotic. Dean shalom emet. Now if you remember, when Hashem created the world on Tuesday, what does the pasuk say? That let the grass come from the ground. That's when the earth was revealed and the grass started to grow from the ground. And the tzaddikim say, that when there's justice, there's berakha in the world. The fruits will produce, and the world will be uh, uh, um, in, in its proper way. And Achamim say, if you take the word deshe, which is grass, deshe is rashe tevot, din, shalom, 
emet. That's a wow. So therefore, din shalom emet. I showed you that when these three things are there, not only is the world maintained, but the physical world reacts to that, to those three uh, pillars of justice, and therefore the world will produce its fruit. So that's why we read this mizmor on, uh, on Tuesdays. Now let's see a little of what the mizmor is being said. Now as a further introduction. Some say that this chapter was written in honor of one of the Jewish kings. Not a famous Jewish king, not so well known, but a Jewish king nonetheless, King Yehoshaphat. Anybody here remember King Yehoshaphat? Yeah, more or less, probably less. <laughs> Yehoshaphat was uh, from the Davidic dynasty. He comes from that line, he's from the kings of Yehuda. And he is known in his, uh, in his career to be a big advocate of justice. And it says he came back from one of the wars after he won, and he was very, very uh, gracious to God for giving him victory. And he went and he set up a court system and he set up all legal systems and he supported the rabbis that they should make sure that everything is going to be honest. So they say that Asaf wrote this chapter in honor to pay homage to King Yehoshaphat, who this was one of his, uh, one of his items. And also we know about King Yehoshaphat, he loved music. So therefore it would be appropriate to write a, uh, a musical uh, 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 piece for the man that stood for justice. So that's uh, according to one interpretation. Now let's start to read the, uh, the chapter. It's more Asaf. Elohim nisav ba'adat el. Now, this is important. Everything I'm saying is important, but this also. The word Elohim, sometimes Elohim means a judge, and sometimes Elohim refers to God, which is an amazing item that Hashem allows <clears throat> the judges to share a name that belongs to Him. In America, we don't do that. In America, they say God, and then there's a judge. But they don't call the judge God. Elohim means somebody that is powerful. The word El represents somebody that's strong. And therefore, when we refer to judges, we refer to them as Elohim, the powerful and the strong ones. So the pasuk is to be read like this. Elohim, is, this is referring to God. Nisab. Nisab means he stands ba'adat el. Ba'adat el means in the uh, in the congregation of el. El means judges. That means a Jewish court is a religious institution. A secular court is a secular institution. When you go to, let's say, the Supreme Court of the United States, it's not a holy place. It's a place we have nine men wearing uh, black robes that are trying to figure out uh, what's right and what's wrong. But when you come into a Jewish court, it says God is in the court. I wouldn't have thought that. I would say God is in the synagogue. What is Hashem doing in the court? So that she says, if you have Rashi in front of you, Elohim im emet yishpotu. God's there as the... Um, as the supervisor, as the mashkiah, to make sure that the judges are exacting justice. And if they don't, then Bodhi Olam is going to hold them responsible. So when a Jewish person goes to the Bedin, we'll call it Bedin, uh, you're going and you're involving yourself in a religious, uh, uh, religious place. And so much so, how humble God is, that the judge is able to sit and God is standing. That shows you how much 
um, God values uh, the system. Uh, and that also is a uh, motivation for the litigants not to lie. Because if you realize that Hashem is in the court, and you're not just talking in front of some you know, three rabbis, but there's Shekhinah there, so therefore the person might become a little more hesitant uh, to compromise the truth. So Elohim is God, Nisab is standing, Ba'adat El. Bekerev Elohim Yishpot. And therefore God, Bekerev Elohim Yishpot. When the judges are judging, they are judging Bekerev Elohim in the midst, in the midst of God. God is in their, in their midst. Both God. Both God. Not judge. In this case, it's God. Again, I'll read it again. Elohim, which is God. Nisab is standing. Ba'adat El. El is short for Elohim. The second El is God, is the judges. That he is standing in the presence. Exactly. That's right. Well, sometimes it depends on the context. Right, not here. So Elohim, which is God. Nisab is standing. Ba'adat El in the congregation of judges. Bekerev Elohim Yishpot. They judge in the presence of Elohim, which again is God. And Yishpot, judge. They judge in God's presence. Okay, now, in order to understand a little deeper, I'm reading now the Sforno. Sforno says something even more. For a judge to judge correctly, he needs what's called Siatadish Maya. See, that is what means divine assistance. Betin is not judging based on their own opinions. They have to judge according to the Torah law. Torah law is vast. So when a person comes and says a case in front of a rabbi, he has to go to the whole Torah to see what the Torah says about the case. A judge never is to give his own opinion. He's supposed to relay the opinion to the litigants what God says. But it's, the literature on Jewish law is vast. So the judge needs divine assistance to find the right solution to the problems. So God says, you don't have to worry. I am in the courtroom. Why am I in the courtroom? Not only to supervise that you won't lie and you won't pervert justice, but I'm there to give you divine assistance in order to come to the right conclusions. That's the way it is for Nolans. Elohim nisab le'ozram. To aid them ul-ha'ir enehem. And to enlighten them le'shpot tzedek. And then it says... That means Yishpot et shofetim, and then God will judge the judges and punish them. And if they move away from what's right, Borei Olam is going to uh, to punish them. So that's uh, now. By the way, I, I will say something else. Uh, you must be uh, aware that God has many names. And some names represent mercy, and some names represent judgment. What's the name of God of judgment? Elohim. So therefore, that would be the name that represents judgment, and that's when we refer to a judge. Also, he shares that same, uh, that same name. Now, the... Um, the Gemara learns from this pasuk a... Halakha, I'd like to tell you the halakha, ladies. Halakha says that when you have ten men in the Bet Knesset, the Shekhinah is there. So that's a big thing. Whenever you're in the presence of the Shekhinah, uh, the presence of God, uh, you can ask for things, you pray for things, and so on and so forth. But you need ten men. Don't be offended. Uh, 
You can have ten ladies in the Beit Knesset, and I'm sure it's a great thing, but you need to have ten men in order to bring down the Shekhinah. It's just the way it is. And the question is, where do they learn that from? So the Gemara uses this pasuk over here as one of the sources. It says, Elohim, which is God, Nitzah Ba'adat El. He stands where there's an Eidah. A congregation. Now, I don't know how much an Eidah is. Is an Eidah 100 people? Is Eidah 50 people? So this is the way the Gemara is able to figure out how much an Eidah is. You remember when the spies came back from uh, uh, spying out Israel? And God was angry with the spies. And what did God say uh, uh, regarding to the, to the spies? He said, This congregation is terrible. Now, how many of the spies were terrible? Bidiuk. Because two of the spies actually spoke uh, benevolent about Israel. So it's only Caleb and Yeshua that spoke good. So when God says this rotten Edah, how many does he mean? Ten. So from there the Gemara learns that the word Edah means ten. And it says over here, Elohim Nisav Ba'ada, that God is found in the Edah. So therefore when there's ten people, there's God. And I will add, that you see that the 10 people, as long as they're 10 Jews, it doesn't matter what quality they're on. Even if they're not the highest level Jews, a person might say to themselves, yeah, you need 10 Sadiqim. No, the place that they learn it from is from the 10 spies. And those 10 spies were not, uh, you know what I mean? So therefore, anytime you have 10 Jews in the Bet Kines, so that's the Gemara, I'll quote you the language of the Gemara. Amar Avin bar Adam bar Yitzhak, minayin shakadosh baruchu matsui be Bet Kineset. How do we know that God is found in the synagogue? Shneiman. Elohim nisab ba'adat el. Minayin asas shemet patadim. And how do we know that when ten people pray, the Shekhinah is with them, shenemar, Elohim nisab ba'adat el. And actually the chapter is saying something deeper. That not only ten people, but even three judges that are sitting in court, the Shekhinah is with them as well. So that's the beginning. Now the Pasuk says, At matai tishpetu avel. But you judges... Until when are you going to stop perverting justice? Ufne the Sha'im and the faces of the Sha'im tisu sela. You will favor the wicked over the righteous. Now, obviously, this was written at a time, I guess, where you know the judges were not so honest. There was corruption, almost like what goes on today. And here, the the psalmist is bemoaning the fact. In the name of God, God says, until when is there going to be Abel? Abel means corruption in the Mishpat. And the wicked people, and the Sforna says over here, uh, on this Pasuk over here, uh, or, or the next Pasuk, Shiftu Dal Viyatom. Shiftu Dal means judge the Dal. Dal means the poor man. Viyatom means the orphan. Ani varash, these are different levels of poor people, hadzdiku, make them righteous. What does that mean? So that she says, im zakayu bedino, ba'al tafku dino lechoba, b'shvila sepenet eshaim. Usually, what happens is, in an, uh, in an American court, who wins? Not the one that's innocent, the one that has the best lawyer, the one that can afford 
to represent, even though the judge knows that uh, uh, the guy is guilty, but because of a loophole and because he has a, a good lawyer that's able to talk good, and the other guy has a court-appointed lawyer that's paying nothing for, so justice is never served. However, in the Jewish court, they're saying, Shiftu dal viatom. The judge has to look at the underdog. Ani And sometimes if the Ani and the Rash are justified, the judge has an obligation to say that tzedek is with them. Because usually a, a corrupt judge will, ju- will, will side with the rich man or the one that gives him a bribe or the one that's more powerful. Or sometimes the judge feels threatened that if I don't say that the uh, rich man is innocent, he's going to pressure me or maybe he'll get me fired from my position. That explains, I mean, not that there's not corruption in the American court system, but it explains why the Supreme Court justices have life, uh, life terms. Why would a Supreme Court justice of the United States have a term for life? No other position has a term for life. An explanation is because they don't want to be afraid that they could lose their job because they're going to give an opinion. So once they're known that they have a, a life term, so therefore they could be a little more confident that nobody can threaten them that if you vote this way, you're not going to be elected next year. So a judge is not supposed to be a politician. Politicians, they'll always waffle in their opinions just to get a vote. And then they'll always change based on public opinion. The judge is not supposed to give the public opinion. He's supposed to give the emet. So the pasuk is saying over here, Ani barash They're telling the judge, if you believe the Ani is, is telling the truth, say it. And don't be afraid of consequences. And... You'd be surprised throughout our history there were consequences where judges went against powerful people and the powerful people, uh, they, they gave the judge a hard time. But the good judges, they don't care. They know the mishpat belongs to, mishpat belongs to God and not to them. Now the Sephorna learns over here, interestingly enough, that this could be talking about over here, uh, Yetomim. Now, when it comes, because it says yatom. What's the case of yatom, an orphan? A lot of times you have an orphan that has uh, real estate. His father passed away, and they leave an estate. And what happens? They put a, an apotropos. Apotropos is an uh, administrator, custodian, to take care of the estate of the orphans. And you can imagine, since the orphans are young and they don't know, so a lot of times the custodians themselves would be corrupt. And they would take things for themselves from the yatomim. How's the yatom going to defend themselves? So the pasuk is saying that even if the case doesn't come to the judge, but the judge knows that there's yatomim, shiftu dal yatomim, you have to go, go out to them and make sure that the yatomim are not getting, getting abused, which is a big hadush. The American courts are not obligated, American judge is not obligated to go and pursue justice. If the case comes to him, he has an obligation to hear the case. But he doesn't have to walk around knocking on doors, uh, who needs justice, who needs justice, you come to my court, I'll give you justice. But he doesn't have to go uh, 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 solicit justice. Here it's saying, no, shiftu. They're telling the Jewish judge, you must go out if you see something that is corrupt. The Jewish judge has an obligation to write it. And a lot of times you'll see it, in underdogs, like poor people that are taken advantage by their employers. The employer doesn't pay the poor guy, or he abuses him, or he makes him work, uh, you know, in, in ways that he's not supposed to. So today we don't have judges, let's say, but we have the rabbis, and their job obviously is to go and intervene 
and he can't say, well, let him come to my court. No, he's not coming to your court. But maybe go tell the guy, he prays in your shul, speak to him, and tell him that he's not allowed to do such a thing. That's the job of a, a true judge and a true rav. Shiftudal, he has to pursue judges. Paletu is going to, to save the, the dal and the ebion. Now we go to the next pasuk. They don't understand. What do you mean they don't understand? They don't understand what? They walk in darkness. The foundations of the world will collapse. What in the world are we talking about? So that she says over here, The judges that are corrupting justice, they don't understand. They don't they don't have a perception. The Gemara says that God forbid a corrupt judge loses his eyesight. Because since the job of the judge is to give uh, guidance and to enlighten, so measure for measure, the Torah says, when a judge is corrupt, his eyes become dim. And therefore the Pasuk is saying, they don't understand that their, 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 their deceitful behavior will cause them to walk in darkness. Meaning, physically, they will lose their eyes. There was one great rabbi, Hakam Nisim Khafusi. Uh, he was a great, great Sadiq, and he was blind. And he was a judge. And Rav Hida writes that he saw a miracle happen with this rabbi. Because the people started to say, ah, he went blind, he must have taken, taken money. And they were starting to rumorize against him. But it wasn't the case. He went blind because he went blind. So he says, I saw the rabbi's signature when he was blind. And then I saw a miracle that he got his eyesight back so the people will not be able to rumorize against him. And he would sign his name, Hakam Nisim Chafusi. And then underneath it he would say, Hashem Nisi, God is my miracle. And everybody saw that Hashem made a miracle for this rabbi that he got his, uh, he got his sight back. Now, here the Pasuk is telling us the judge doesn't understand that not only is he going to lose his eyesight, but he doesn't understand Yimotu Kol Aris. He doesn't realize that the corruption in the justice system causes the whole world to reach its uh, demise. Like we said, that was the, one of the reasons why the, uh, the flood came. Now let me tell you, uh, if anybody wants to know, what the Gemara Sanhedrin says, if anybody ever went to the court of King David, King David was a judge, besides everything else he was. In the Amidah, we have a Beracha, Hashiva Shofetenu Kibarishona. We pray to God, bring us back to old judges. And they can give us the proper advice. And remove from us anguish and trouble. Today, you know why we have so much trouble? Because we don't have justice. There's nobody to go. You have two people are fighting, they don't know where to go. In the older age went to the court, the court make a ruling, and that's it. You had a, uh, to me, it's, it's kind of amazing. We have such a big community, and uh, there's no Bedin. So people are fighting all day long. Where, where, where do they go? Neighbors have a fight with a fence. It's, it's, it's too close to the other guy. Where does he go? Unfortunately, they have to go and litigate in a secular court, which is a big avon. So anyway, in the older days, King David, you would go to his court. And it says in the Tefillah, Baruch Atah Hashem, Melech Oheb Sedaka U Mishpat. 
God loves tzedakah. What does tzedakah mean? Charity, kindness, and mishpat, justice. So the Gemara says, wait, if it's tzedakah, it's not mishpat. If it's mishpat, it's not tzedakah. Those are two, two different concepts. Charity means, I'm doing you a favor. Justice means the law. So how does the Amidah say tzedakah and mishpat, which sounds like two polar opposite behaviors. So they say, well, if you went to the court of David, you would see simultaneously tzedakah and mishpat. What happened? David would see a poor man and a rich man, let's say. <clears throat> now, just because a person's rich doesn't mean he's always wrong. Sometimes the rich man can be right, by the way. You can't hold it against him that he's rich. He's, if, he's, if he's telling the truth, he's telling the truth. So David Amalek sometimes would tell the rich man, you're 100% right, and the poor man is 100% wrong, and the poor man must pay the rich man $1,000. That's the deed. That's the mishpat. And then David Amalek would look at the poor man and see he doesn't have money to pay, not $1,000 and not $1. So David Amalek would take the money out of his pocket and say, here's $1,000, go, go pay. So that was tzedakah u mishpat. He would give the tzedakah to the, to the ani, and therefore he would pay from his own pocket. Now, he, he, he wouldn't tell the, uh, um, the, the rich man, oh, Hazid, he doesn't have money to pay, let him go. No, that wouldn't be justice. Justice is, you have to pay. Okay, how's he going to pay? Uh, that's another story. You want, you want to help? I'll help you. But you're guilty. So therefore, David Amalek, it says, follow the pasuk, look at pasuk, uh, um, uh, uh, pasuk we want to look at is pasuk gimal. Shiftu dal v'yatom, ani barash hatzdiku. So the way they're learning it is that sometimes the judge has to give tzedakah to the ani. Hatzdiku. Hatzdiku means give tzedakah. Why do they have to give tzedakah to them? When they're found guilty in the court and they don't have the money to pay, what is it saying? Hatzdiku. Hatzdiku means give them, give them tzedakah. Now I'll tell you about this concept of the, of, of the bribery. And this is a big yesod. The Torah says that if a judge receives bribery, it taints his judgment and it'll be uh, slanted to the one that bribed him. And it doesn't have to be a big bribe, by the way. The Gebrah tells stories about uh, litigants that did small favors to the judge, and the judge reclused themselves. Because they said, no, you did me a favor, you helped me carry a package, you, you helped me walk across the bridge, you, 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 you brushed a feather off my jacket. Even the smallest of favors, the rabbis uh, reclused themselves. Because they felt that now already they, they're leaning towards the, the one that did them the favor. The question is, what if the judge is Moshe? Moshe Rabbeinu. And let's say Moshe Rabbeinu, somebody comes and gives him 50 bucks. Does anybody over here think that for 50 bucks, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to pervert the justice? Moshe Emet. There's nobody more truthful than Moshe. He's the pillar of truth. But when the Torah says that bribery blinds the scholar, the Gemara says, even Moshe. How could that be? Nobody's exempt from Nobody could ever uh, say, well, the law doesn't apply to me because I'm uh, Moshe. But how, how, do we, how would we understand that, that a man on the spiritual level of Moshe can be affected by a bribe? We would expect Moshe Rabbeinu no matter, no matter what. He would tell the truth. The explanation that Sadiqim say is, once the Torah says that Shohat corrupts, it becomes a new reality in the world. 
that becomes the new reality. The Torah makes the new reality. And therefore, nobody would be able to say that they are above this new reality. If the Torah didn't say it's forbidden, I would say you can give Moshe $2 million. It's not going to change his opinion. He's going to give it like it's supposed to be. But once the Torah says, this is the reality, bribery blinds. Finished. Now, nobody is going to be able to say that it's not going to. If the Torah says it's going to affect you, the Torah creates the new reality of what's the, uh, 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 um, the, 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 the new uh, uh, reality of the world only through the prism of Torah. So therefore, even Moshe Rabbeinu would be affected. And there was one time a judge in the court and there was a Jewish guy in the court and there was a goy against him and the Jewish guy tells the judge before we start the case I'd like to come approach the bench. He says, Mama, come, come. It was a goy judge. He takes out a big bag of money, uh, a paper bag, a brown paper bag filled with cash and he said, this is for the judge. The judge opens it up, he sees all cash. He says, I understand over here. Don't you Jews follow the Torah? Doesn't the Torah say you're not allowed to bribe a judge? And here you come in the beginning of the case and you give me a whole uh, bag of money? He says, my dear judge, let me explain to you. Why is it forbidden to give a bribe a judge? Because then he's going to be tilted. He says, but now before the case starts, you're tilted already against me. Because I'm Jewish and I'm going against God. So the bribe is to bring you back to even. <laughs> so I don't know this, this type of bribe over here actually will bring us to justice. Now maybe you can see straight. Normally the judge was going in even keeled. The bribe corrupts him. But you're going in already on a tilt. So I just need you to even the uh, playing field. So that by giving you that bribe, I might stand a chance to have, uh, to have equity. And that's what the bazooka is saying over here. The judge does not realize, though you over, though you they walk in darkness and lead them to darkness and ultimately lead them to destruction of the world. And now we get to the main two pesukim of this chapter. I know many of you are not judges and you have no connection to the courts, but these pesukim over here, he'll relate to. Ani amarti Elohim atem. kolechem. Listen to what's going on over here. Adam and Haba were created by God in Gan Eden. Adam and Eve, as they called them. These were the greatest spiritual entities of all time. Adam Rishon, it says, his heel was even brighter than the sun. The heel, which is the lowest part of his body. Adam was such a, such a spiritual giant that even the angels mistaken him for a god. The angels came to Adam and said, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. He said, what are you talking to? I'm not Kadosh, Hashem is Kadosh. Oh, we made a mistake. The angels served Adam Rishon and Haba. But unfortunately, Adam sinned. And we know that he ate from the, he ate from the tree. Haba took it and then she gave it to Adam. And that caused Adam and Haba to descend to low, not a low level, but lower levels, lower levels. And now a rectification for the sin of Adam would be necessary. And it would take generations in order for this rectification to 
to be fulfilled. Uh, recently, we explained that the rectification began with the deeds of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and their wives. And then, they didn't rectify it completely. It would continue into the tribes, the 12 tribes, and ultimately, the world would reach rectification to its highest level at the time that we came to Matan Torah. At the time that we came to Matan Torah, the world reached perfection as it was before the sin of Adam and Rishon. Could you believe this? Now, we received the Torah in the year 2448 from creation. Adam sinned in, in year zero. It took 2448 years for the world to come back full circle to where it was at the time of creation. That means Adam Arishon Kodemachet. And the way the Zora Kadosh refers to this phenomenon that took place in Har Sinai, Paskazu Hamatan. There's a certain uh, virus that the snake put into Adam and Eve. It's called Zohama. It's not Corona. It's something else. But it's, called, it's worse than Corona. If you can believe there's something worse than that. But it's even worse than that. And that's called Zohama. And the Zohama is transferred to all the descendants of Adam and Chaba. But when they got to Matan Torah, the people reached a level where they took the Zohama test and it finally came out negative. <laughs> Every year they take Zohama test, positive, positive, positive. All of a sudden, Matan Torah, they gave everybody a Zohama test. They said, that's it, we got rid of it. There's no Zohama. They reached the level of Adam and Rishon Kodemachet. It's an incredible moment. The world reached perfection. Based on this, we understand something in the Haggadah Shel Pesach. I know it's not Pesach, but it's right around the corner. In the Haggadah Shel Pesach, they say, "Ilu kerebanu neftehar Sinai, velo natanano with the Torah dayenu." Dear God, if you would have brought us to Har Sinai and you would not have given us the Torah, dayenu, it's enough. And I ask you, ladies, is it enough? I mean, what's the purpose to come to Har Sinai if you don't give us the Torah? It's like saying <laughs> a, a, a child tells his father, Daddy, if you brought us to Disney World and we didn't go on one ride, Dayenu. They went to go to the parking lot? What would you come here for? No, we, we came. We came and we were making a U-turn. We go home. Dayenu. Matan Torah, what? God is saying what? Just to come to the mountain? There's mountains all over the world just to come to the mountain and then what? The God says, you know what? Thank you for coming. Uh, the show's canceled. You'd be very upset. But not in the Haggadah. The Haggadah say, just to come to Har Sinai, even if you decide not to give us the book, Dayenu. Is it Dayenu? The explanation of the Mekubalim is because at Har Sinai, that's when we got vaccinated. Even before the Torah was given because there was such a surge of Kiddushah at Har Sinai, it purified us. So even if God would have said, listen, I'm not giving you the Torah, but we said, okay, at least we got vaccinated. At least the world reached the tikkun of Adam and Rishon before, before the sin. And what happened? When we said, Naaseb and Ishma, the angels couldn't believe it. We accepted the book uh, blindly without even asking what's inside of it. But I'm sorry to tell you, it did not last for too long until we got infected again. And I, I'm even more sorry to tell you 
that we're still infected. The first time it took 2,448 years to get better. From Matan Torah, from the year 2448, 34, 44, 54, we're about 3,500 years later. And it doesn't look like we're, I mean, if I had to guess, it sounds like the Zohama is still there. What happened? They worshipped the golden calf. Not, not too much long after that. We, 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 we got, we said uh, a Naseb in Ishma on the 17th of Tammuz. That's when we got the, uh, uh, sorry, on the 6th of Sivan, which is Shavuot, my, my bed, on the 6th of Sivan. 40 days later, when Moses came down with the tablets, we already were frolicking around the, so it only lasted for 40 days. That was the whole the 40 days we were clean. On day 40, when we counted wrong, the eagle came and it corrupted everything. And we're still paying for that. Now, at that point, when we reached Zohama cleansing, there was no more death penalty in the world. Because Adam and Rishon was supposed to live forever. And if you don't have Zohama inside of you, you will live forever. Once already we worshipped the Egel, it brought back not only uh, the Zohama, but it brought back the death penalty. I mean, can you believe it? People are still dying today. It's only because of that miserable day of Chet Egel. The Zohama came back, and therefore all the curses of Adam that, he, that came to him at the time of the eating, they came back. Based on this, I'd like to explain to you uh, a halakha. Maybe you've heard of it. In the olden days, if somebody became impure, do you know how they become pure? What was the method to purify somebody who came in contact with a corpse? Let's say, God forbid, somebody died. That's okay, I'm going to tell you. That's why I'm here. Let, let's say, God forbid, somebody came in contact with a corpse. He went to a cemetery, or they went to a uh, funeral, or, the, uh, or, or, or however it may be. The only way, there's only one way to reduce or get rid of corpse tum'ah. The mikveh will not help. Even if a person slept in the mikveh for three days straight, he cannot become pure. Even if a person washed himself with Purell from head to toe, Purell cannot remove tum'ah. Now you might be hygienically clean, but the tum'ah is still on. There's only one way. Para adumah. Paraduma is a red cow, a very rare breed, that they would burn the cow, mix it with special water. So the water and the ashes, they would take a hyssop, it's like a leaf, and they would sprinkle the ashes on the person on the third day and on the seventh day. That's the only way he would become pure. Now, I know you're saying it sounds like he got more dirty, because normally if you sprinkle ash on somebody, it sounds like they become less clean and not more clean. Well, if you're thinking about that, it's a good question. But... Paraduma is a hook. So please do not ask me on the way out, oh Rabbi, could you explain to me Paraduma? I cannot. It's one of those laws that are just, you have to say, because I said so. God said so, and so that's it. That, that's what it is. But my question is that the Gemara says in a different place that Paraduma, this red cow, is an atonement for the golden calf. Because the mother of a calf is a cow. So therefore, the Gemara says, let the mother cow come and atone for the baby cow. So I'm scratching my head and say, hold it. 
I have no problem. Just tell me what I'll do my is. Is it, is, is it a kapara for the egel or is it a atonement for purity? Or is it both? But based on what we're saying now, we understand. Because what brought death back into the world? The egel. There would not be any contamination if it wasn't for the egel. Because we already reached the level of Adam Rishon before the sin. And therefore, pre-Egel, there was no need for paraduma Because nobody was dying. What happened? No, there's no Zohama. Once already we went to the Egel, now the death came back to the... So the only cause of death was the Egel. And therefore the only need to purify is Egel. So that's why they say... Let you get purified with the mother cow to remind you that the only reason why you need to be purified in the first place is because of the baby cow. You wouldn't need this purification if it wasn't the fact that you went back into Zohama, Zohama town. Now, I may, I may add uh, to this over here. I may add to tell you what the Hakamim come along and say uh, regarding a custom. God forbid at a funeral, there's two customs that they had in the times of the Talmud. This is not the Kabbalistic approach. It's only from the Gemara. I'll tell you what the Kabbalists say in a minute. There was a custom that the lady would walk in front of the coffin. In front. And other places had a custom where the ladies would walk behind. Either way, the men and ladies should not mingle at the time of a funeral, the Zorakadosh says it's dangerous. The Satan comes in between them and wreaks havoc. That's why in the old country the ladies never even went because they didn't want to fall into this trap of uh, the mingling of the, uh, of the genders. But that's for another time. So the Beni Shai comes along and says in Sanhedrin on page 20, What's the logic why the ladies would walk in front of the coffin? Explains it. He says, when you walk in front, it's as if to say, I'm responsible. And the Benish Chai says, well, no offense, ladies, but he says that the ladies are responsible. Hey, listen, Haba was a lady. She ate from the tree. Now, I understand she gave it to Adam, but she was the one that brought the, uh, uh, the fruit. So therefore, she's responsible for the death penalty. And therefore, since she's responsible for the death penalty, she walks in front of the coffin as if to say, it's my fault. Now I see you're not taking this one so good. Uh, all the smiles already went off your face very quickly. Uh, nothing to do. That's the reality. But you'll like this one. The Benish Hai then explains the other custom why the ladies would walk behind. And the men would walk in front. Why? Because when did the Zohama come back? The Zohama came back at the time of the Egel. And we know one thing about the Egel. The ladies were not part of it. And therefore you can blame the ladies for the first Zohama. But you can't blame the ladies for the second one. After we were cured, now it's squarely the men's fault. Because they blew it with the egg. The lady didn't even want to give their jewelry. When the husbands came along, they said, give me your gold. Jump in the lake, give me your gold. I'm not giving your gold for the egg. Now, don't think that the ladies didn't give their gold because they love their jewelry. 
And therefore, just say, well, they didn't give it because they didn't want the egel. They didn't, they didn't give the jewelry because they loved their jewelry. It's not true. Because when the Mishkan was to be built, they gave their jewelry in a second. So it wasn't that they were attached to their jewelry. just they despised the Abu Dazarah. So therefore the custom then becomes that the ladies walk behind to say, it's not our fault anymore. It's the men's fault now. We did not do it. Now you're smiling. Okay, that's it. I, I, I give you both sides. You choose the one that, uh, that you like. That is another uh, interpretation uh, that uh, is explained over here. And this is from the... Um, No, that, that, that's probably how it left them, by the way. That's pro- it's probably they, they were re, 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 recreated as new, as, new, as new beings. Read the Pasuk in Sinai and you'll see all this that we said. Look at Pasuk Vav. Ani amarti, I said, God's talking now. Elohim atem. You are like God. It's talking about, talking about us. And when does this happen? At Matan Torah, God says, you are like me. You are Bene Elyon. You are like children of, of the heavens. That means you have reached the levels of angels. That's what God told us at Har Sinai. But then after we did Het Ha'egel, what does the next Pasuk say? But unfortunately, you will die like Adam died. Unfortunately, after Het Ha'egel, you regressed back to Adam and you will fall like one of the officers that falls during war. Let's read Rashi. Look at Rashi. Elohim atem, malachim, kishenatati lachem et Torah, when I gave you the Torah, netatia lachem amenat she'en malach ha'mavet sholet od bachem. When I gave you the Torah, I gave it to you on condition that the malach ha'mavet, the angel of death, will have no hold over you. However, what happened? However, you will have to die like Adam Rishon. After you committed the sin like he did, he didn't do the Egel. You did Egel, but he did his thing, and therefore you went right back to square one. So that's a, a, a very, very, these two people are famous that we talk about uh, the, 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 the almost rectification and then the then the break. Based on this, I saw an interesting explanation to a Gemara. The Gemara said that there was a rabbi called Rabbi Yosef. And Rabbi Yosef had a custom on Shavuot. What was his custom? Here. The Gemara says that Rabbi Yosef be Yomad de Atzarta, Amar, he would say, Abduli Eglatilta. He would tell his people, make me a eglatilta. What's eglatilta? A very, very delicious eglatilta piece of meat. An honor of Shavuot. Those that they didn't eat kalsones on Shavuot, and Izzab Halib, they ate eglatilta. They ate meat on Shavuot, which is really the right way because it's a holiday matan Torah. You're going to have uh, uh, rice pudding. It's a holiday. It's not Mother's Day. It's Shavuot. <laughs> Shavuot is a special day. And therefore, the old custom in the old times of the Gemara, they would have igla tilta, and he would say, oh, Abduli igla tilta, make for me igla tilta. So I saw 
And he said, if it wasn't for this day, what would I be? What would we all be? He was so happy. So therefore, make me the best dish. Now listen to something deep. I know that's the way we talk in English. If I were to tell my wife that I want dinner, I would say, make me dinner. Please, of course, we would say, please. But make me dinner. Now, she's not making the dinner. The, the, the dinner, she's preparing it. She's cooking it. Only God makes things. Understand? We don't make anything. Making sounds like you're making it from, from scratch. And even though a lady will say, I made the dinner from scratch. You didn't make it from scratch. Calm down. You didn't make it from scratch. The food was there. Now you cut it. You put it in the plate. You, you, you fried it. You, you cooked it. But it's not from scratch. Only God makes things from scratch. So therefore, the proper word would be, prepare for me. Or cook for me, but to make for me? But we use that word lightly. Let me go back to Abraham Abinu for a second, the parasha you just read. You remember he had a guest that came over? And everybody asks a question. He brings them tongue, pieces of tongue with mustard, but it also says he brought them milk, halav, and hamah, and butter. And Abraham Abinu was a religious man. How can he serve the guests? Milk and meat. It's a big question. So you tell me, no, first he served the, the meat, uh, the milk, and then they washed their mouth. Ah, then again, okay, that's one answer. But it sounds like from the pasuk that he gave it to them at the same time. And they didn't have margarine in those days, so don't tell me it was margarine. So the question then is, how did he do it? So let me tell you how the Kabbalists answer. Hold on to your seats. You know, there's a book that Abraham wrote. It's called Sefer Yitzirah. I don't recommend it for our members because it's a very deep book. The first time I came in contact with this book was in 1986. I was in Jerusalem. And in, on Sundays, they used to have a book guy come to the yeshiva sell books. And I went outside and uh, I picked up a book, a small little book. It was called Raziel HaMalach. It caught my attention because there was all pictures on it and Kabbalistic stuff. I, what is this book over here? Who wrote this book? I opened the book. Sefer Raziel HaMalach, author Adam Arishon. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, Adam Arishon? This is the oldest book in history. I bought it. Subsequently, they told me that this is a book against fires. If you keep it in your house, it protects the house against uh, fires. But then they said that if you lose the book, then God forbid it has a reverse effect. Okay, anyway, I had the book. But then I told the guy, you have any other books like this? This is crazy. Adam and Yishra wrote a book. What else you got? He said, well, why don't you take Sefer Yitzirah? What's that? I opened it up, Sefer Yitzirah, author Avraham Abinu. Whoa, Avraham Abinu? Where was I all these years? I'm reading Huckleberry Finn. These are books written by, by Avraham Abinu. I couldn't believe it. And anyway, in this book, it's called the Book of Creation, he teaches you, using names of Kabbalah, how to create things. You could create things from nothing. you believe it? Abracadabra. Then all of a sudden, uh, no rabbit, no hat. Abracadabra, boom. All of a sudden it happens. 
So Avraham Avinu knew how to do that. So if you look at the text, it says that when he served his guests meat, it says that he brought for them ve'et ben ha-bakar asher asa. Ben ha-bakar, the meat that he made. Asher asa. Says the cow, what do you mean that he made? So it says, yeah, Avraham, where's he going to find three cows? What do you think, there's three cows running around in the middle of the street? So it says, right away he said, Abracadabra, he used the names of Hashem, and he created three cows. Created from nothing. Now the halakha writes, what is the status of a created cow? Is it meat? It's pav. It's like tofu. It's, uh, it's soy. Because it, 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 it's really not meat. Looks like meat, tastes like meat, has the texture of meat. But it's not meat, because it's been abakana. So that explains how he's able to give them meat and milk, because it really wasn't milk, it was pav. But it shows you the power of Abraham Abinu. What type of godly powers? Yeah, this man could create something from nothing. Boom, presto. You have a, I mean, imagine ladies would have that. Then you can really tell you, I make me dinner. Boom, <laughs> presto. And she would say, make it yourself. <laughs> but, but the point is, oh, so now we go back. This is a deep explanation. There was a rabbi called Rabbi Yosef. Came the holiday of Shavuot. And that was the day where there was no more Zohama. It's the anniversary when we were cured. And what does God say? Ani amarti, I said, Elohim atem, you're like me. Because on that day, we had godly powers. Just like God can create, God says you're going to have the same creative powers. So therefore, to commemorate that level that the Jewish people enjoyed collectively, and Rabbi Yosef had to a certain degree, even after. So he said to his servants, Avduli, make for me a glatilta. Which means he was saying, I'm going to show you that what? I can make it. And specifically, he would do it through Yitzhak Yitzida on Shavuot to show on this day we're commemorating the powers that God gave us to be like him. So therefore, it wasn't necessarily the fact that he ate eglatilta, which is the name of the food. The Hadush is how he produced it. He didn't go to the butcher shop before the holiday and get eglatilta. On this day, he would use his powers of avduli, make for me eglatilta, because he wanted to show everybody, if it wasn't for this day, we wouldn't even have the ability to connect to the powers of God in such a way. So that's a, a deeper explanation to why he said avduli, and he didn't say bake for me, or cook for me, or roast for me. Make for me, because actually he was using the powers of Elohim, which is the uh, powers of creation that God endowed us. Uh, we lost it because of Chetayig. Now we'll go one step further. The big question. Now, does anybody know when, which day we got the Torah? I know Shavuot. Okay, you're right. And you also know that Shavuot is the sixth of Sivan. But what you don't know maybe is that Moshe Rabbeinu decided to add an extra day. We were supposed to get the Torah on a Friday, which is the sixth of Sivan. And Moshe Rabbeinu called the delay of game, whatever he called. And he said, you know what, Abotai? Tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow. And we got the Torah the next day. We actually got the Torah on the seventh of Sivan which was a Shabbat. Now, without going into why he did it, but my question is, how did he do it? Which means, if the day of Matan Torah is the day that the Zuhama stopped, so he delayed 
Zu in us. I mean, if we were able to be cured on Friday, so therefore he put us in danger. I mean, if, if they tell you, by the way, the disease will go away today. And the doctor says, well, we'll come back tomorrow. When we come back tomorrow? Who knows we're going to make it tomorrow? How do you have a right? But it seems it worked. So the holy books say that the Zohama actually went away on the 6th of Sivan. Even the day that we were supposed to receive the Torah. Why? The rabbis learn a lesson over here. The lesson that Hamim teaches us is that even when a person is preparing to do a mitzvah, the preparation for a mitzvah already puts the person in the, in the zone of the mitzvah. Even though he didn't fulfill the mitzvah yet. So what were they doing on the Friday? They were preparing to receive the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu came along and said, tomorrow. But since they already were in motion in order to receive the Torah, the goodwill of the people, what Elam saw it, and therefore said, that intention, it's an amazing thing, the intention to receive the Torah and the goodwill to want to receive the Torah, that already was able to remove them from Zohama. And that's the rabbi's own lesson that any time a person is involved in a mitzvah, or a preparation to do a mitzvah. For example, the preparation for Shabbat. So people think the mitzvah is Shabbat. No. All the preparation on Friday leads to the mitzvah. The preparation is considered a mitzvah in itself. There's an old saying of the Gemara. Zirizim makdimim la mitzvot. What does that mean? Zirizim, those that are zealous, makdimim, they, they rush. They rush to do the... Uh, Mitzvot. Now it doesn't say zirizim osim mitzvot, but they're zirizim magdimim la mitzvot. They run to the mitzvah. That means even running to the mitzvah is considered a mitzvah. They didn't get to the mitzvah. It's la mitzvot. La mitzvot means that the mitzvah is over there. But zirizim magdimim la mitzvot. They come and teach you that your preparation to other mitzvah is a mitzvah in itself. So since they were preparing on the sixth of Sivan, the preparation was so powerful that it was able to get rid of the Zohama. Now read the Pesukim inside. I'm reading Vav. God says, You were like me. You were like angels. All of you. Look at that. All of you. This Achen, such a sad Achen. Achen means however. I don't even want to finish the Pasuk. Because I know this however. We're still living in this however. It's a big however. Achen, like we tell somebody. But, don't say, but what? Oh, this, is a, this is a big achen. However, ke adam temutun. You went back to Adam Arishon. And therefore you're going to fall. We see people today falling. And then David Amalek ends on a good note. Kumai Elohim. Rise God up. Shoftaharis. Ultimately, you're the best judge. Only God can bring justice to the world. That she says over here, Asaf prayed that God should get rid of the corrupt judges. You control the world, and therefore you're able to judge everybody favorably. We'll stop over here. We pray for that day and our time to be cured from Zohama. Amen.